Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. We're off to the races. Yes, we are off to the races. Dave Berg, I am delighted to have you as my guest on Inspiring Futures. This has been month in the making. And um, finally, via internet technologies and the uh, habitation of a cafe close to the White Sox in Chicago, right. we've made it happen, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully, there's hopefully the echo is like a, you know like a strong you know acoustically pleasing echo in this. <laughs> yeah, I think shop. I think I think the reality is that it sounds like it, it sounds like a conference call. And I'm, oh, good. Wow. Uh, you know, that's about that's good. <laughs> the only next thing is I, I put you on a plane and I fly to New York and we do this in the studio. I know. But that's well, a whole new level level of expanse. That we're next, gonna have, next time. Until we have a until we have a great uh, sponsor to, to fund those types of things. I will say this: the your side of the Zoom looks great. Your studio does look great. So. Yeah, it's just my second bedroom. Uh, <laughs> um, so what we usually do is we ask our guests uh, to take us through a little bit of their history, their, their career history, and uh, explain the genesis of why they ended up where they are today. So Dave, if you could yeah. kindly take us through that, that would be great. Well, glad you asked. I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been visiting the Midwest for the last two weeks. <laughs> Is that what you do? Visit the Midwest? Yeah, the road tour. We drove up from Austin, went camping in the Ozarks in Missouri, then uh, all over the place, ping-ponging, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, Green Bay, Wisconsin, Chicago. Gary, Michigan. Now we're going. We're going to Iowa tomorrow for a wedding. We're really, you know, the family. My wife and I are both Midwesterners, so it's a, you know, it's a ping pong across the Midwest. So, um, awesome. Yeah, it's been a good trip. But tonight's the Sox game, and I think it's Grateful Dead night. So, uh, does that mean everyone pretty, dresses up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> does that mean it's legal to smoke marijuana tonight in Chicago? I, I can only hope so. It's a uh, it's a real sweet spot for me. Stocks and Grateful Dead, so I'm excited. So yeah, I'm in Bridgeport, which is different than like uh, this little neighborhood on the south side is a lot different than 10 years ago when when I lived here in the past. So yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, but um, career wise, yeah, I mean I think the Midwest actually is a good starting place because. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of folks like me. It's just you don't realize it's a unique, more unique uh, pers- perspective in the advertising business, being kind of like growing up blue collar, you know, kind of being from the Midwest. So, you know, my 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 folks own a they own a paint store, <laughs> and I grew up uh, I grew up spraying uh, cars. So I, I know how to paint cars. That's you know, awesome. like at a body shop. So. Yeah. You know, college wasn't really like, my parents weren't like, you know, the classic, which college are you going to go to? That, that really wasn't a, a chat, you know. So when I meet folks um, who kind of have that blue collar 
background, it's it's refreshing to kind of be able to talk about that mix of uh, advertising, the advertising lifestyle, and and sort of having that background because uh, there's so many smart people in this business, and I just you know so many of them are you know they've had they've had parents who who you know kind of started white collar and kind of could coach them I guess yeah. you know in terms of office life you know. Um, so I think a lot of my career is like <laughs> trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, a, a maybe uh, it's, a, it's a bit more of a complex world than, uh, than the body shop, right? <laughs> a little bit. But sometimes that, sometimes that grounding can really help. You know, sometimes yeah. that, that is a, it's, an, it's an awesome thing to have, right, to fall back on. You kind of have a – it kind of gives you a better – I would think a better perspective of America, right? Who is America? Who are Americans? They're more like more like that than the well-coached, privileged white kid. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's it is. Uh, I think it. I think it helped a lot, especially kind of being a younger planner. You know, going out and doing the man on the street interviews and moderating focus groups and doing doing you know getting your hands dirty with research. I think it was helpful for just like being insightful for folks who are, you know, a bit older and didn't get out of the office as much. <laughs> but I, I think as I, as I got older and, you know, got into management and stuff, you know, the, the Achilles heel of that is, is kind of learning how to navigate politics. Cause that, that really is not something you're taught. <laughs> right. There are no classes. There are no classes in, in office politics. No, no, no. So you know, in the body shop, you, uh, you know, uh, the, the, yeah. There's no, there's no conference rooms or, or politics. You either. It's just festering. It's just festering anger. In the yeah, exactly. So, um, I think uh, I, I had a, I had a lot. Of, I mean, I was really excited to. Uh, so break where did you, where did you go to college? Where did you go to school? Uh, I went to, um, well, this is another crazy choice. So, uh, you know, classic, if you're going to go to college, you're going to pay for it yourself. I was lucky enough, I got accepted to Madison, and mm -hmm. I didn't know that Madison was, like, a really good school. I, I, I had no idea. <laughs> it, it seemed like kind of a normal choice. So I, went, I, I really liked the big city, which was um, Milwaukee, for those of you who haven't, who haven't been to Milwaukee. It is the can be a beautiful place on the on, the, on Lake Michigan. Um, so I, I went to Marquette and I paid for it myself. But you know, the, I don't remember anything I went to school for, um, which is unfortunate because I was working all the time. I was you know waiting tables or doing construction. Um, but I met my wife, and my wife's whole family went to Marquette as well. So actually, like they live here in Chicago. That's why I'm here. And so you know, I, I got a lot of riches out of that if you will but yeah. i met all these young people who grew up in the chicago suburbs and that's when i was like oh my god i need to work in a tall building i didn't even know about advertising i just i was like i need to work in a tall building <laughs> so what did you what did you actually study when you were at school do you remember uh yeah broadcast journalism so i was a i was a tv news producer in green bay which is a great market i guess it's like the best market to start in even though it's my home uh because of the green bay packers so you get like 
you know, pro sports experience right out of school. Um, do you get and tickets? it was, it was, everyone, everyone's a ticket holder anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whole town fits in the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you can tell who's from Green Bay and who's not, because if you're from Green Bay, you typically wear your blaze orange deer hunting uniform, your deer hunting gear. And if you're not from Green Bay, you kind of, you just wear green and white, green and yellow. You know? okay. so, um, so there's a sub uniform, there's, a, there's an insider's <laughs> exactly. uniform. Yeah, you're hardcore if you have a if you have your deer hunting uh, gear on and it has like a little blood from your last kill. What about if your car has a deer on top of it? Exactly. That's even better. <laughs> but um, you know, I I actually I, I lucked out, and a lot of people I worked with at that job are now on national news, um, and I met you know met some great people, and I just couldn't. St- it was really boring to me because you had to talk about facts and engineer the same news. <laughs> and it never could really be all that interesting. You know, you could change up edits, but they couldn't be, you know, you couldn't couldn't create flash edits, you couldn't create anything, you know, really disruptive. Yeah, there was a there was a formality to it. And <laughs> there's a formality. It. You're tr- kind of trapped in a windowless room producing the news, you know, so the newscaster kinda... isn't suddenly going to become John Oliver overnight. <laughs> no, you're not. It definitely it's like one of those things you think you're going to end up you think you're supposed to do because you, you know, are a decent writer or whatever, but uh Definitely not. Uh, it wasn't for me. Um, how long? We, so I, how long into the job did you realize it wasn't for you? Uh, probably like a year and a half. You know, right at the point where it's like, oh, you should move to another market. So I kind of, I kind of quit like cold turkey, and uh, didn't really have a job. So I helped out at my parents' shop, and I kind of took a year where I was like, man, I was a real, I was kind of a dirtball. You know, my my parents have a, a you know a local business, like I said, a paint so paint shop. So I really, I went from like producing news to pretty blue collar stuff. Like I, I kind of started uh, painting motorcycles on the side. I was selling for my mom and dad, training people how to spray cars and uh, doing stuff I didn't need to go to college to do. I mean, it's, it's yep. a great, they have a great business, but so I just kind of like rode motorcycles for a year and painted and hung out. I didn't do anything crazy like backpack Europe. But um, at that time, my wife was uh, going to grad school well, we weren't married yet, girlfriend. And I met a guy um, that kind of, you know, ran ran with uh, her sister's friends, and um, he saw that I was he saw what I was doing, some painting some bikes, and he's like, "Dude, you can write, you can do that, you should get in advertising." And lo and behold, um, he I ended up working with him at WADA, and now he's a creative director. <laughs> there. So I kind of I kind of got into advertising just. You know, at a party, was you know somebody just kind of giving me some encouragement that you know if you're a little different, you think a little different, that you could do this. So I started reading uh, about you know how can I do this without going back to school, and um, I got you know um, who am I trying to think of the famous Goodby guy that you probably know, guy Goodby, John John Steele's book, yeah. So. I looked in the back page and uh, I saw John Thorpe under the index and uh, I called Goodby 
and I found, and I just asked for John Thorpe, and I was like, I didn't even know, I didn't know he was like, you know, a world famous planner or anything. I had no idea, you know, the the level he was at. And I begged him, I was like, if I fly to San Francisco, can I shadow you for a day? <laughs> and I think he was like somewhat shocked. You know, he's such a nice guy. So uh, sure enough, he's like, yeah, I got, I got a couple hours for you, and you know, that was like. You know, so I, I bought a flight to San Francisco, which was a lot of money for me at the time. Sure. And um, my my wife and I hung out in the city with some friends, and I got to hang out with John. And I and I was so stoked about the way Goodby felt. I couldn't believe I could wear jeans to work and do the kinds of things that I do. Um, so he hooked me up with some folks at Leo Burnett because they didn't have any. I think they had lost Saturn at that time. Um, and, you know, that's where I got started. I got started at Burnett. So I kind of, I, I just lucked out by, I guess, you know, being able to take a risk and make a phone call, you know. Um, well, also, also people aren't going to put themselves out if, you, if, if they don't think you're going to be cut out for it. So you, you obviously, you know, it's not just, it's not just um, luck and good fortune. You're kind of making it yourself too. So, yeah. So you end, yeah, up, so you end up at Burnett. You are in the tower now. You're in a big Chicago tower. Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. I mean, we moved to Chicago. We had gotten married. We moved to Chicago. I, you know, I was like, I can't believe it. I, I work in a tall building, and I do cool stuff. And um, it was just great because, you know, at that time, you know, Burnett has, you know, a million accounts. Kellogg's, they're big. There's all kinds of, you know, the industry was, you know, really I mean it was a robust industry at that time I guess the best way to put it there was people from Fallon coming there people from Wyden coming there and I had all this mix of influence because I think those people wanted to go to Burnett because it was a big, big agency and you know it had a, it had some heritage and so they came there as leaders so I met all these really interesting leaders and I just worked and the I think the other thing that was incentivizing is that they paid juniors overtime so <laughs> You never left the office. Exactly. So I basically, you know, my wife was, you know, finishing up grad school and starting her, you know, her thing. So we were totally fine working all the time. And if you love your work, it's fine. Like we yeah. would. And you got paid for it, which is, which is unusual. Not people. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was exceptional really. And, and um, so really lucked out and, on that and just got to meet all these great, all these great planning leaders and great creative people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, after like three years, I guess, of that, um, I'm trying, I can't remember who it was, but somebody kind of pulled me aside and they were like, you should go somewhere. They could kind of tell that I was um, more of a creatively leaning planner, mm -hmm. you know, because there was, there's such a, there was such a great, um, you know, like a research department there where they could do econometrics and all oh, yeah. kinds of crazy stuff, you yeah. know, and that wasn't entirely my thing. I liked to bring them into projects, but I really liked working with creatives. And so, um, you know, some of the recruiters there actually were just like, you, you, if you're going to move on, you should go somewhere really creative. And that's when they started introducing me to like, you know, widen. Mm. And um, <clears throat> so I, I kind of I got introduced to some folks at Widen. I started interviewing, and, and I I got the job, and 
I think I got the job in 2008, but then they lost Starbucks. <laughs> so then I couldn't hire anybody. And at that time, we could sell our condo. So then I ended up getting a car back. It's like 2000, early 2009, and uh, go out, out there. And, you know, I'm stoked. I got the job. And I, and I always wanted to move out west. I mean, this is a huge adventure for a Midwesterner. You know, sure. I'm like, I'm going to move to Portland. No one even knew what Portland was at that time. You know, it was, it was pre-Portlandia. Um, so, uh, so you originally, the, you originally hired to work on the Starbucks business that they, they didn't, I they think didn't. so. If I remember right, they yeah. were, they were hiring for Starbucks and I, I think, um, I think leadership there resigned the account because yeah. they were such a hard account. <laughs> if that's, if I got it right. Uh, but yeah, they, they called back and they're like, we're resigning Starbucks. So, you know, you're not going to get it this round, but we'll call back. So six months later, I come back, I get the job and it's for Coca-Cola. And I just remember it's like, oh man, this is really one of those life moments because it was like, you know, we had our first kid. I'm 30 now, and I just remember the news. I was I was home for Christmas. You know, we were off for Christmas, and that we were holding. You know, I'm holding the new baby, Charlotte, and watching the news. And literally, it's like stock market is tanking, and they're showing the numbers. You know, the Chiron goes up, and they show the <laughs> dip. I'm like, oh my god how am I going to take this job? And like, and you know, but it really, at the end of the day, like there's probably an hour of darkness and I'm like, I'm, I got to do it. I got to do this. This place speaks to me. Yeah. I got to do this. So, um, you know, we moved to Portland basically, uh, with nothing. We sold our place in the beginning of 2009, lost everything. Didn't, you know, it was like new baby emptied our savings account, uh, to, to close on, we sold our house at like a huge loss. We weren't allowed to rent it because it was like a condo association thing. I couldn't short sale it because we took the loan out from my, from my father-in-law's bank and he was like a VP there and it's like a small town bank. So there's no way, you know, like we have to save his face. So like like all those people who walked away, that's cool. We couldn't do that. We had, So we literally like moved to Portland flat broke and uh, terrified, but it really was the best the best decision ever. Um, and then, you know, I got to spend five years at Widen at a time that really was super exciting because I think, you know, advertising was changing a lot. So this is like 2009 and now all of a sudden, you know, uh, more people than tech nerds were getting on Twitter or some of our moms were getting on mm -hmm. Facebook, you know, like yeah. social media was really taking off. And, um, you know, I met a lot of people that are just great friends today at a time because the agency was really, they were really hot on social media. They were hiring, you know, social media analysts, community managers, all these new names that are common today. But I think as a planner, I was just like, oh my God, finally, like you can use these things sort of to, to make a sharper argument for great creative. And mm -hmm. you can, um, you can express creative in so many ways than other than just a great storytelling on a spot, you know? And, and so it was really, uh, I just, again, lucked out on timing. It was just like a great time to learn. And I think as I reflect, um, you know, with others who worked there at that time, it just, all of us are kind of like, what an amazing time to be there. Because right. <laughs> we were, there were no rules, you know, it wasn't like management knew how to like set up a team. We, you got an account and you figured out how to, how to Middle staff work. it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is you went, so you went from uh, a pretty straight agency, like, 
a classic, not saying that creativity wasn't important, but now it was, I mean, they definitely have a reputation, but a solid agency to, uh, you know, one of the best creative shops in the world. That, and then on top of that, that's a shop going through a transition because the world around them is changing too. Yeah, I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's exactly it. And um, yeah, I mean, so a lot of what I took away from that was, you know, you go from Burnett where you have every, you know, name a third party research vendor, yeah. everything at your fingertips yeah. to set up an argument, but it's pretty, it might be bulletproof, but it, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder to take a leap. And a lot of those clients are, you know, have been there for 60 years, right? And so, um, and then you go to widen where you're not allowed really to have third party research. <laughs> you have to have a you have to have good instinct and be able to get people to tell the truth <laughs> it was such a shock and you were kind of forced to use social data to understand people yeah. and uh it was such a healthy time because you know like my business partner right now dean um you know we sat probably a hundred feet away he was working on png and i was working on coca-cola and i just i could see the way as a as a social strategist he was starting to segment um digital audiences right and and you could already tell like oh my god through through using any data you can find in the behaviors of people on social you can you can really figure out how to seed great creative um and so you know that was just like amazing to me and, and it was so fun to kind of you know work in advertising at the time when like really like re interactive marketing was still kind of fresh <laughs> you know now it's kind of commonplace but to to set up community management and to but you also you, know, wanted, make, you also also had this amazing opportunity to not say game the system but suddenly there was a system out there that if you could get the content right it would explode without having yeah. a 50 million dollar budget if right. you knew the tricks of the trade if you knew how to make it in social right and if you knew the language you suddenly had a weapon yes yeah exactly so yeah that that was very exciting and a lot of you know just being a part of a lot of great creative where you know the whole team was really a you know it was really a team effort to orchestrate a lot of these live you know, events, you know, and that's something, you know, Widen continues to do with everything they do. But I think so many other agencies now have, have caught on on how to, how to sort of create a culture that does that. I mean, there really are a lot of great creative shops now. Um, and that's a different, I guess that's a different conversation, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of upstarts these days that I think if I were a client, I would have a hard time choosing. I mean, I could name five agencies mm -hmm. that I think do that well now. Yeah. You know? um, so, so, you, in your five years at Wyden, you, you, you started on Coke. Where, where else? What else did you work on? Uh, yeah, so I'm in super blessed in this regard. I got to work on PNG and kind of, I mean, do so do thank you mom stuff. So thank you mom. Uh, so proud sponsor mom was already mm -hmm. established, and then I kind of got to get into it like in its second or third year. So it was really cool to you know, I mean that's a very heartfelt. Yep sort of brand initiative by PNG. So you kind of see the best of PNG leadership. So you got the best of like the most inspiring clients. Um, and also the team was just, you know, amazing, amazing team. So there was, there was that. And then 
I would say probably the most like, you know, the experience that will always be with me is, um, you know, I was lucky enough I'd, I could kind of jump on um, Travel Oregon. So it's it's kind of a pet project of Dan's. So Dan Wyden actually still CDs it. <laughs> and then um, uh, American Indian College Fund, which is it's a pet Dan project Kennedy's of David story. Kennedy's. Yeah. So I got to work with them as, you know, their planner. And yeah. um, man, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have a great analogy for being a planner, but, you know, I, I try to play guitar on the best I can think of is like it's like being a great rhythm guitarist you know mm-hmm. you're not you're not going to be lead guitar when you're working with dan or david but you can sure as hell i'll get on stage and play play rhythm well and yeah. uh it was really it was i learned so much from those guys not not just like <clears throat> create like it wasn't just the creativity or getting the good ideas it was it, it really was now that i look back at it you know how to kind of have pause and let go of things and then reel it back as a leader they're just to me that's the secret of that shop is just exceptional leadership um well it's so super blessed it, it, it also it also seems to me there's a there's there's they don't accept average oh yeah absolutely <laughs> it's kind of ingrained in their culture right you know it's a it, there's a there's a striving to do better you know, I'm, I'm glad and I used to, I used to, I used to hear that Dan would frequently like pull the rug from under the carpet 24 hours before <laughs> a pitch and tell everyone, tell everyone that the work was crap and they needed to stay for another 24 hours to get this right. And it was all a deliberate ploy because he just believes in chaos. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he says it with a smile. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a cruel, it's almost torturous. <laughs> But, but there's uh, a truth to it, right? There's well, a- you know, there is something, there is something, there's something lacking a bit. Like as I moved on from Wyden, you know, I still was lucky to work at great shops, but it, if, you know, if you were to get in this conversation of, oh, the, the industry is so different today, man, I don't know what happened, what's going on? And then you complain and complain. Um, yeah, okay, Facebook and, you know, social media platforms, you know, invading the space, whatever. But uh, I de- I, what I've noticed when I got into other agencies after Wadden is uh, things are so process-driven now, even at a creatively, quote-unquote, creatively driven shop, that it is really hard to debate work and blow things up when they need to be blown up. Um, and that really is a distinct advantage over there is that they believe in that so much. They'll blow, they'll blow something up the Friday before a Monday meeting. <laughs> do, yeah. do you mean, do you mean, do you mean, so do you mean, is it, is it the economics of business now are pushing the risk out of it? And planners and creatives are at their best when. <laughs> that's just a music. That's a musical interlude. Uh, that's awesome, man. Planners yeah, and uh, planners and creatives are at their best when uh, when they're allowed to take risks. And and if and if you have leadership who is saying, you know, we need to play this safe. We don't want you know. We want to win the pitch. I mean, there seems to be a lot of second guessing in the business right now. Yeah, I think I think that's a huge part of it and this there's this other thing that's just like with 
this project driven world we live in and, and, and in a lot of ways that's healthy, right? Cause you're, 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 you're dating a client you're, you're earning their trust project by project. But you know, so many shops now at the top, I guess they've figured out how to, how to project man efficiently project manage these, yep. you know, three, four month engagements to the point where, you know, great people, you know, very smart people, pro, you know, project managers start to kind of really rule the roost and in the, in in the spreadsheet rules versus the work. And there's, there's no time to blow stuff up. You got to keep, you got to keep marching. Yeah, that makes sense because the, mar the, the margins on projects are, you know, there's not a lot of margin in the project. Whereas the, yeah. re the retainer, you could always, you'd always make the margin, you'd always make the profit up over time, but now you can't. So you're right, the producer project manager is limiting the strategy time because they yeah. don't want to, yeah, makes a lot of sense. You know, now, you know, now that I'm, you know, starting on my own business, we've been doing it for a couple of years, you know, we catch ourselves in the same, you know, in the same boat. And it's like uh, the constant mental battle is how do we, how do we still run this project well, deliver great work, but have the ability, what is the right area in this project to be able to blow stuff up and pivot a bit and how do you get together and get sort of the brain the collective brain around it and it's it's a it's a constant i think it's a healthy struggle but it is a constant struggle to do yeah. that so t talk about the genesis of the of, of the business how did it come about and what, what did you yeah say? so i mean so um yeah i left watch and i went out to crispin i was able to uh I had the chance to, to work on Domino's. My, uh, I have two business partners. So Dean, who I met at Wadden, he moved on to New York. He helped, um, he helped Jerry Graff open up yep. BFG. And uh, then he went on to PR. He went on to like manage events. He has a really eclectic background. My other partner, Dan, uh, started Roundhouse in Portland. Um, and he wanted to get out of like uh, more of like a, you know, he had 100 people they were doing a lot of production work, starting to dip into brand work. Um, they had Red Bull and Adidas, but he wanted, they, it was such a, he knew that business model was, was kind of limited and he wanted to do something else. So we had, we were all friends and we had explained what we were doing on Domino's in terms of, you know, an exceptional team. Number one, the team on Domino's, it was exceptional. The client was exceptional. And that allowed us to sort of resegment the audience around digital behavior. So, yeah, you're going to run national ads. You're going to talk about 7.99 pizzas. Try to try to get people coming there on Tuesdays when pizzas light. You're going to do all that stuff. But what was really exciting, especially with this, you know, direct to consumer craze going on, and, and that don't even think that's a trend. That's just my brands are going to grow up now. Um, you you had that component in the fact that. 60% of that business is going through the site and the app. So you, you basically, you know, for us as a team, we had this ability to manage this amazing account where we weren't just trying to, you know, blow a brand up and get some awareness for a few months. We, we literally could fuel business all the time with um, actions, you know, mm -hmm. through digital. So you could make, you could find out a little bit of, you could find a little insight about how, um, you know, people who order delivery aren't you know they're actually waiting by the window because they love seeing the car so you can make a pizza oven car <laughs> you could find out through app data that um 
there's a whole group of orderers um, who order ahead of time through a loophole in the app at weddings. Um, and they order, you know, 10 pizzas for the hotel room so you can party at night after the reception. Um, and then you can build a wedding registry around that, you know, so there's all these little nuances in the audience data that's digitally segmented, whether it's gamers, whether it's uh, even like coupon, like coupon collectors who aren't really trying to save money all the time. They're actually like, so how does that, how do that, pro how did that process work? So you got all this, you got all this data. There's, there's almost too much of it. Someone's got yeah. to dig, someone's got to dig through it and pull the nuggets out. Then someone's got to go and say, we got 20 really amazing things. I don't know. Would you look at, do you, is it, was it, a, was it a constant quest or was it? Like, yeah. Yeah. Constant quest. But at that time, I think, you know, at best we were trying to create a rig out of listening, you know, basic listening, uh, platform, uh, tools and MRI and their app data. Um, and so it was pretty, it was, it was kind of a, kind of, it was, it was pretty like hobnob together. Um, and we really, what we were hungry for at that time was affinity data. We wanted to see affinity data. We just couldn't get it. You know, it's like one of those things. It doesn't, it's like a classic fallacy. You get in management as a planner, but you still can't really impact the vendors of the agency. <laughs> so, you know, we would, you know, we would try to figure out how to get the affinity data into that but we just, it just we just couldn't and um it's it just it was too expensive for the agency blah 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 it was it was you know we just didn't have the ability to do that so we would try to hobnob this data together and, and it worked you know worked to a degree and we were able to take a lot of cool ideas many sitting on a shelf many that we found through new insights and and get them through and i think in that process we realized we had a business because segmenting um a company's digital data based on audience behavior versus you know looking at demographics or trying to trying to target some persona that we all know creatives struggle with because it's like the classic 35 year old mom with a bob stroller or whatever you know um we knew we, we knew we were on to something we just didn't know how to talk about it as a business <laughs> we didn't we didn't know how to sell it and what's crazy is uh, we kind of all quit our jobs and we just we just did it and it was like the first year of trying to figure it out um, but we were able to establish we were able to build a stack of affinity data with some great partners um, we were able to figure out our story we were able to talk about ourselves as an audience kind of audience insights company and we were able to kind of build consulting from there so now we're in year two of Shepard and now you know it's uh, it's actually I mean it's ridiculously heartwarming because I'm talking to you as I haven't gotten a haircut since I quit agency life. I now have long hair. I look ridiculous, but I'm not getting a haircut for a while. Um, and people keep referring us and I'm super stoked about that, that you can mm -hmm. look like a hippie and still get referred. <laughs> well, that's because you don't have to come into the office. No, we, we did finally have to establish an office. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what I was saying was, um, you, the, the sort of premise that you're working with, and this is me trying to kind of put words in your mouth um, a little bit, but is there's a sort there was a sort of notion that existed for a while where this kind of oh we have people are obsessed with brands we have brand fans, and you're sort of set, in a way your sort of strategic premise is sort of the opposite, which is 
people aren't really that interested in brands. They happen to come across them. But what they're really interested in is their passions. And that's where brands need to live. Brands need to live in the passions. They don't need to, the, 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 the content, the worlds that people are engaged with are passion worlds. They're not brand worlds. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that, I mean, I think that gets, that nips your question in the bud, right? Like a lot of, a lot of clients see the growth slowing, they get trapped in the best practice programmatic, you know, Facebook buy more media machine, not get data back machine. Um, and so, but what, what they, what they end up realizing and what we can prove is that you're going after the wrong audiences. And, and, and it's because of that, because you're not overlapping, you know, what your brand cares about, you know, traditional brand work with what actual people are into every single day. Right. And, and then there's sort of this massive misalignment or the missed opportunity. I mean, when, when, you, when you have the data, that you, when you get the data that you guys provide, you're then the opportunity to align creative to the passion, to the brand is huge. It's, uh, I mean, it's awesome, and, it, and it's, it's what we were looking to do, you know, at, you know, I mean, we were at a great agency, I mean, Crispin's still an awesome shop with, you know, great talent, there's, there's nothing wrong with the, with that, with that, with the way that works, right, like, that, like, there's great people in place, there's great clients in place, it's just that there's, there's sort of a norm of how that, of how an agency works, right? And we had a, I mean, I think I, we, we, at the time we were just like cobbling together what we had, social listening, which let's face it, that doesn't do cluster analysis. That doesn't, that doesn't really get into how people group together by interest. It just shows what was said. You don't even know if those people have, you can use any tool, you have no idea if those people have any passion for what they talk about. In fact, like we've done analysis for brands where you can see there's an entire group of a couple million people in the U.S. that just they love to get political with statements and anything that's like remotely political they'll talk about. <laughs> you know, so if a butter brand with a Native American, you know, uh, logo, you know, does anything, they'll talk about it. And then all of a sudden, that butter brand is, you know, worried and it's like, no, these people don't even buy, buy your product. But Product, that's part of the job. That's part of their job title, which is <laughs> political antagonist. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, we really, we this is something we've always wanted to do, but we kind of had a lead, even though we were in great places. I think that's the point. I mean, there, in no way would we ever come down. We were very fortunate to have worked at mm -hmm. awesome agencies. It's just that those are machines, and we we kind of had to leave and and get our own, build our own stack, if you will. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it, it makes total sense. Where, just since, um, since I want to, I want to keep this to like another seven minutes, just because <laughs> it's going to be the longest podcast we I've ever done, and then it's going to be like an hour and. I don't know how long it's going to be, but, we're, but it's going to be the definitely it's going to be the record. It's going to be the world record longest inspiring futures. Um, <laughs> why don't we talk about the future a little bit? So let's um, where, you know, all this talk about AI and it being a massive help and allowing us to do stuff. Is this a, is this myth or reality? Man. Yeah. I don't know. I go, I, I, 
I think it's a little of each. Yeah. It is like a, it's it is pretty fascinating how the computer brain is evolving. Mm. Uh, what to me, at least in my experience, I mean, like I'm always I'm always really curious what people on the pure tech side, you know, like we we layer IBM. I mean, you can just plug IBM Watson into anything, and some of the Watson folks are here in Austin. I mean. Uh, it's always fascinating talking to them, you know, and, and hearing like the pure uh, tech point of view and, and, and what's really being innovated there. But like from my, you know, in-depth kind of like sitting in a room with people advertising side, I mean, I, I often would get frustrated because it just feels like a lot of AI ideas feel kind of off the shelf and not, and they don't feel like they differentiate a brand. I mean, it, it comes back to that. It just feels like, oh, we need to, you need to plug an AI idea into this. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just another it's another idea of the day, or it's like another chatbot. But from your perspective, in terms of like using AI, you know, is does AI have a role in any of the analysis? Could it have a role? Could it? Have, yeah. I mean, yeah. we have had we have I can count three three engagements we've had with major companies where running just running IBM Watson and doing a personality analysis has given us a completely different cut and we we were able to verify an audience type that um, that sort of unlocked a new, a new way of thinking mm. for mm. one product one and a couple others uh, marketing plans um, <clears throat> so yeah I mean on our, based on what we see now at Shepard, I mean, AI is, it's fascinating when you, when you allow the brain to look at reams of data and, and, you know, cluster people by certain affinities. It's a, it's amazing. I'm blown away. And I, you know, I should, I should speak up. I am not the technical person at sure. Shepard. Dean is. <laughs> so if I sound insane, I am. But, um, but this, this is, you know, the, uh, how how it chooses to create its clusters the fact it can look at so much data so quickly has to be hugely advantageous yeah and i think i think the mistake with a lot of folks including myself i'm a country boy from wisconsin we think we hear ai and we think it does all the work but even even after you you know use it as sort of like a you know a supercharger for the machine, right? You still have to go in there and use your brain to figure out what the real insight is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's it's a funny thing because a lot of our clients are like, "Wait, what platform do you use?" And we're like, "Well, we use we use cluster analysis, and we have a, we, you know we do have a data partner that helps us you know gather you know ethical social data, but." We're still looking at spreadsheets all day. You know, yeah, we have a, it's still, we have it's a, still, a, it's still a, it's still a human, a human machine partnership. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's actually been kind of a fun challenge, taking the dry spreadsheets and then blending it into, I think, what we're really supposed to have, which is, you know, the ability to tell uh, sure. a captivate story yeah. you know, after being advertising so long. So. Yeah. So, so just thinking about the the trajectory you guys are going on. If if I was to say, if we were to have this conversation in another two years' time, given um, where where would you like to see the business? Where would you imagine? Yeah, 
what we're having a lot of fun with, I mean, full candor, as you know, like you, when you start, when you bootstrap a company, you just have to, you have to find a lane and run. And for us, that, that was audience analysis, verifying, verifying audiences, and then layering on brand thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So now that we've been doing that, um, you know, here's your audience. We know them in specific terms. We know them in anthropological terms. We can we can uh, translate that to uh, creative. So what does that mean when you get into like creative nuance? Well, it's customer experience. So what we find, you know, when we start working with our clients in depth is that we're starting all of a sudden we're meeting with the UX team and we're changing an entire app experience. We're meeting with a designer and we're changing a kiosk. We're meeting with the brand team and we're, we're reviewing creative with them and their agencies. So we, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of the next rendition of like our heart to heart internally, but like customer service feels so overused, but we are trying to find a way to talk about how we inform that. And I, I could see eventually having some services that help, I mean, at, at least, um, you know, comp that and show, um, show possibility, you mm -hmm. know? So, so there definitely is some temptation as we bring on more clients to, 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 to build up a discipline around showing possibility. So in that is some design and that is some writing, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't think, you know, we'll, we'll ever be an, an agency because there's just so much more interesting work out there other than campaigns. And I, again, I go back to like 20 minutes ago, it is hard to let go of campaigns. So that stuff is addictive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, what you're, what you're sort of saying is that you've sort of, it, it's sort of like you're getting, you're getting a, a tighter definition of these audiences that matter to brands. And then you have these applications that take that data and make it meaningful and actionable or take make manifestations that are meaningful and actionable around that kernel of data. It's I mean, it is amazing to it's an amazing thing. I, I think being a planner and you know, laying down a line of logic, really having a great insight and quote unquote, you know, selling a, a you know, a, a pretty provocative campaign through and then, you know, making waves with that, that, that is always going to be thrilling. But I think, you know, what we've found that's thrilling, you know, really diving deep in passion data, translating that into action, whether that's, you know, UX, marketing, whatever. Mm that you know we're finding with our own clients that it there there are moments that you know you get in that boardroom and and everybody gets on board uh with with some pretty drastic change i mean we 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 just had a client um they're called brigo coffee and i mean they're just such a cool group it's a, basically a group of mit roboticists that created a coffee kiosk with a robot in it that um, I mean, it can make you. You go, you fire up your app. You wait in, you wait in line in TSA, and then you walk into the airport, and then by you know, gate twenty two, there's your latte, you know, and it's got you know the perfect blend you asked for, and it's, you know, they were going after you know the coffee, the the the, you know, the subway tile, uh, you know, hipster kind of like fancy uh, coffee drinker, fancy coffee drinker, right, mm -hmm. and. Uh, 
you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's great, um, but that's not really like your credible audience. So so we ran, you know, we ran, you know, they're collecting data. We ran through it, and sure enough, it was uh, I think like four clusters of really kind of nuanced, super interesting, you know, tech people, you mm. know. So we were able to retool the, the entire experience, even even the actual kiosk, to to be to basically be a a tech experience for people who enjoy coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a major decision for people who've invested, you know, four years of their life are you know you know professionals at you know the world of robotics who've been in front of investors. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, mm-hmm. They really like. Man, what a hard! I mean, it's it's a weird thing to say that it was heartwarming, but it it made, it made all of us just feel amazing to to gain really cool. Yeah, awesome. I um, really appreciate your time, and um, I, I hate to I hate to end the conversation, but I I, I, I fear I, I don't. We could create the war and peace of podcasts. Well, I'm glad you caught me on vacation. Yeah, yeah that was that was good. It was it's really great talking to you. And um This is your host Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time. Thank you.